Extreme weather is at the top of the news these days. Could farmers save the day? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. We talk about extreme weather and there's a growing interest in the role of carbon in the atmosphere and how it may impact what hits your farm. But one tactic that's gaining more attention is to become carbon neutral and a key potential help to companies aiming to reduce their carbon footprint may be farming. That's right, your farm could be the solution to these climate and weather ills. Mike Wilson, editor of Farm Futures, has found that this is a very complicated topic, one that can't be written in one story. So far, he's written six. It started with, will farmers get paid to save the planet? And he's expanded from there. We wanted to know more, so we asked him to join us. Then after that, we talk in detail about one practice that could be part of the carbon credit market, cover crops. Fran O'Leary, editor of Wisconsin Agriculturist, shares information from the latest National Cover Crop Survey and what she learned may surprise you. First, let's talk carbon and the business opportunity for agriculture with Mike Wilson. Well, Mike, welcome to the Around Farm Progress podcast. Uh, I think this is your first time uh, on the show and we appreciate having you here. Um, you've been busy. I've been reading and you, you're always busy, but this time you've been busy on a relatively complex project. Not every journalist would jump into. Uh, apparently you got pushed off the dock and you're swimming now. <laughs> but I guess it's it's about, I mean, it could be about a lot of things, but I think I think you're looking at farmers engaging the environment in ways that may help them make money in the future. I mean, talk to me about where you are and what this series is about. Well, thank you, Willie. I appreciate being on your show. I do love your show, and I hope that we have many, many uh, conversations in the future. This is a series. It's a six-part series. It started online at farmfutures.com, farmprogress.com, and uh, it started with a, a headline called Will Farmers Get Paid to Save the Planet? And it's all about climate change, uh, weather extremes. You can't turn around anymore and not see a headline about weather extremes. Um, for the longest time, I think agriculture and farmers in general uh, had a sort of a blasé attitude about global warming. We didn't really want to talk about it as an industry. I think that's pretty clear. And then a few years ago, we started seeing that, that attitude kind of change. The NCGA started a partnership with the Environmental Defense Fund. And uh, as you'll see, and if you get a chance to read through some of these stories, there's a lot that has been changing, and it's actually very positive for farmers. But we have to do a lot to educate, and we have to talk about how how this is going to happen. Because it, it's going to happen through public change, maybe through congressional action, that will make carbon trading a little bit more uh, efficient and easy for farmers to do. It'll happen through retailer uh, change where you see all these companies that are clamoring to have uh, reduced greenhouse gases and they're gonna figure out how they can partner with uh, industries like agriculture, which is a greenhouse gas uh, emitter, but it's also a place that uh, sequesters carbon and this is the kind of uh, hero story that we need to be talking about and trying to flesh out. Uh, I try, try to flesh this out a little bit in this series. 
but you've taken a different, a little different tack than some people have. And you're writing this almost as a farmer with your farm background and almost trying to say, look, uh, as a farmer, of course, the Farm Futures brand is a business brand, not a production brand. So the idea is, how do I take this and make this part of my business and make it a, a profitable portion of my business, right? That And still get the benefit for the environment. Well, absolutely. Uh, and I appreciate that you uh, stated that because that is exactly my goal. Um, if you look on farmprogress.com and Google search the word carbon, you're going to see 30,000 responses. You're going to see, I mean, this is a topic that has been talked about for a long, long time. Uh, not necessarily with a lot resolved. That's just certainly been talked about. And this series is specifically for the commercial farmer who has been hearing about carbon. He knows about uh, weather extremes. He's been dealing with it. And it's about, uh, it's coming from Europe, the perspective of what what is going to happen in this arena? What's, what will be the future of carbon trading? How can I participate? Do I need to make changes to my farm? What changes will those be? How do I connect with particular kinds of companies or carbon trading platforms? Part of the series has talks about uh, how General Mills is uh, working with farmers in Kansas. That's a natural connection between a company like that and uh, farmers who are growing wheat. But there's a lot of other connections out there. They're going to either happening now or they will be happening. So farmers need to be aware of this. And by the way, there's probably 60 different links in this series alone. I try to make it so that if you really want to have a chance to dive deep on where this information is coming from and take the next step, you can do it. Just click on the links. Plus, I have to give a big shout out to my colleagues and all of our uh, State Farm Progress magazines, several of whom I've uh, kind of piggybacked off of their stories and uh, checked out what they were writing about and uh, put those links in there as well. It's a big topic and we're just trying to get a handle on it. Well, I think it's a, it's sometimes almost too big a topic. I think a lot of farmers look at it and say, look, what am I going to be forced to do? But also when you step back and start hearing about forestry and you hear about carbon sinks and you hear about measurement and you hear about Amazon and Apple and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, we're talking about a kind of a carbon elephant of tremendous size. And you kind of need to take an elephant one bite at a time. And this six-part series, I think, gets a good start on that. I think if a farmer is saying to to himself, okay, I need to listen, where do I start? This would be the place to start. And there will be a link to the first story in this series with this podcast on on the online. And so that you can start there and all the links are in that story, all to other all the other parts so that you can capture this story from Mike. Um, you've mentioned to me before that this is such a big deal and it's kind of hard to write about it. What did you get yourself yeah. into, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as I mentioned to you earlier, it started with one story, which then I, I, I don't know, as a, I don't know how you are, but as a journalist, I look at a story and I say, I can't just let this go without writing about this other part and then this other part. And this. so one part became six parts. And truthfully, this could be a, a 12 part series. Let's face it. This is a big, big topic. So I would I would suggest that you start in on you know part one. But it is it is a primer. It, I'm not an expert on this topic whatsoever. It is a, a work of due diligence on reporters. Uh, you know, that's that's my best effort right now. But it will change. It is changing all the time. You every day you see a new company that comes out with a a greenhouse gas pledge. 
Meanwhile, the Congress is working through right now a framework that will give uh, potentially give farmers a much more easier and understandable uh, system for carbon trading. Meanwhile, you have three or four or five or ten other carbon trading marketplaces that are already in existence and farmers are already getting paid to save carbon and do climate friendly practices. I do see, and this is going to be stepping out a little bit on a limb, but you know, we are getting paid by the government right now for all sorts of things. Uh, you have crop insurance, you have um, federally subsidized crop insurance, you have trade uh, trade aid, you have CFAT payments, but maybe someday we're going to have environmental payments. We don't know. Maybe it'll all be one thing or maybe it'll be part of a, a, several different things. But the important thing is to note that right now we're at a tipping point. We don't have regulations. We have incentives. And this is what I think part one of this series is all about. Uh, you have some very important people who got together in a room, high-level food executives, farmers, USDA leaders, Sonny Purdue, Farm Bureau leaders. Uh, they all got in a room and they're, last year, and they're, they're back at it again this week at a virtual level. And they're trying to hammer out this framework so that farmers will be paid to do the right thing for the planet. And the beauty of all this is, when you do that and you get paid, you're also saving your soil, you're building soil health, you're doing all the right things for your pocketbook and for the environment and the future of your farm. So I, I don't see any downside to this. You're going to probably be surprised at what I'm about to say, but I really, knowing me, I really am more a fan of private companies paying farmers to do this rather than the government stepping in to pay. Because I think in the long run, if there's a true vibrant carbon market. Now, I'm sure the government will have to jumpstart that. But I think in the long run, if a General Mills or an Apple or an Amazon is paying the farmer an offset for what they've got to do to get their to do their business, I think everybody kind of wins. And you're right. Many of the practices that a farmer can engage can make a big difference now in his own operation, whether it's lower herbicide costs, lower fertilizer costs. As a matter of fact, after I talk to you on this podcast, we'll be talking to Fran O'Leary, who sat in on the National Cover Crop Survey Review and has some interesting stats on what cover crops can mean. Just that one practice, there are other things I can do, but just a single practice of engaging cover crops could be a nice payback besides in agronomics, besides perhaps in this process of getting a carbon credit. You know, I did a story recently on a company that does pays for forest land. Uh, mm -hmm. People who take forest land and they they actually come in and they measure the tree rings, the diameter of all the tree, all the trees. And then they come back and measure it again and they can do a balance on what that, that forest land. And they wrote checks this year. They wrote $2 million in checks to farmers mm -hmm. in the Mississippi Delta. So these programs are real. And you mentioned some of them in your series. And I think as we go forward, we'll try and capture more, I think, all the Farm Progress team to add to this in the future, more links on services and think that's an opportunity. But I, I'm excited by this idea. Yeah, I am too. I mean, the farmers will always tell you what is the cost benefit analysis. They're going to look and they've been very skeptical around cover crops, some of them, mm -hmm. which is understandable. If you have tight margins and you don't want to spend that extra uh, money per acre and in the fall to put cover crops in you're not really sure what the benefit is economically does it really give you nitrogen does it really uh, suppress weeds in the spring 
etc. But uh, I think some of these kinds of things that are coming online right now will help uh, get over those kinds of questions because uh, it'll be pretty straightforward. The, when you see uh, part one and part six, by the way, you're going to mm-hmm. meet a couple of farmers. Chip Bowling is a Maryland farmer who's been in the sort of the, the thick of this. Uh, Trey Hill is an, another Maryland farmer who is has gotten They've both been involved because they had the Chesapeake Bay pollution issues in the 90s. They both had to work with regulators, the EPA. They've they've managed to sort of, uh, they've learned, they've made changes to their farms, and they're being paid now. Well, at least Trey is. uh, They're being paid to sequester carbon. And there are some farmers here that you can emulate, that you can look look toward uh, and to see what kind of things that they're doing. And the big picture uh, answer to me, too, for Midwestern Corn Belt farmers who have always been skeptical about this, especially the fears that those regulations that happened because of the Chesapeake Bay situation 20 years ago might come land on the, you know, in the Mississippi watershed. Well, there's a lot of positives that happen to those farmers. Those farmers are doing things, they're managing their farms differently now, and they're getting paid incentives. I don't think that we should necessarily be defensive about that anymore. I think we should be looking at that with as an opportunity. Well, I don't disagree, and I think we need to be sensitive to the fact that if, if we don't do this, it's going to be out of our hands. And I think right. that's the other side of us. So the carbon potential may be the payback in the long run. But I think in the short term, even just starting to have this conversation, being engaged, if your local conservation district has people that are – trying to do certain things in your neighborhood, don't engage it negatively. Reach in positively and say, okay, what are you trying to accomplish? What can we do together to accomplish that? Rather than I'm not doing anything or or rather saying, I want to do it this way, really sitting down and having this conversation because the point is some of the people that are trying to do this, whether it's General Mills or Cargill or you name it. I mean, I think Anheuser-Busch is trying to get me to do a story, believe it or not, right. on this very issue. Right. Well, every one of those companies, they don't all understand agriculture the way you do because you live it. You're a farmer. You're in it every day. So you need to bring them into the conversation. Here's You you have a great idea person who lives in St. Louis from Anheuser-Busch. We think you're smart, but guess what? That doesn't quite work here when it rains and we can't do that. That's a neg- not a negative dialogue. It's a positive dialogue of let's now let's step back. What might work? What can we do? Well, especially as you see these things uh, that what like uh, Chip's doing and with mm-hmm. his stakeholders with all those food pe- food people, uh, when this kind of thing gets established, you can look at this as a benchmark. If 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 we're not sure how things should work when you try to communicate uh, with these uh, food companies, or well, you can always say, look, this is we're not let's not reinvent the wheel. This is happening, and maybe we can uh, learn some lessons uh, from from what people have already done. We're in this very early stages, even though this this has been a topic that's been written about for ages. Uh, uh, we're really in the early stages, I think, of where something is actually being put into place, a real framework where things are actually happening. It's been talked about a lot, and now we're moving on it. 
I think we're closer now than we've ever been. I mean, obviously, we've been talking carbon sequestration since the 80s um, mm-hmm. in some form, but it was always a benchmark issue. Where do I start? I've already done all this. Do I get credit for that? And maybe the answer is no. Maybe the answer is, okay, that's a great starting point, and then go from there. Um, you know, even Bayer uh, today on the Farm Progress Virtual Experience uh, had a little piece about their carbon program. So every company's doing this in agriculture, too. And I think it's a big opportunity. Mike, we're going to have to wrap this up. You and I obviously could talk all day about this topic uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it's a big topic. And so we'll probably have you back on the podcast in a few weeks to talk a little more, maybe about some of the reaction you get from this as it's been online, because these kinds of stories often do get reaction and we can talk a little more about some of the things you learned as you keep going uh, and I appreciate your time on this Mike thanks for the hard work on this series looking at carbon and and uh, extreme weather and moving forward as agriculture thank you Willie thanks to Mike Wilson looks like he's tackling a topic that could provide valuable content for his readers for some time to come but he's glad he did Next, we'll tackle one part of the carbon sequestration puzzle for farmers, cover crops. Fran O'Leary shares what she's learned from the National Cover Crop Survey. There were some surprises in that report. Well, Fran, we're talking a little bit this week about a subject that uh, just a little different than we usually talk about here. And of course, that involves climate change and maybe the farmer's role in it. Um, Just had a great conversation with Mike Wilson about that very issue. But one area that I wanted to delve into that we only touched on with uh, on Mike's side is an area where farmers can really make a difference, I think, and that is this overlap of the climate carbon conversation and soil health and cover crops. Um, and you recently covered and uh, worked on uh, a look at the National Cover Crop Survey, which I I guess I need to know first, how often is that survey done? I mean, who conducts well, they it? Do it? They do it every year. and. They, they started doing this um, back in 2012, and they've done it every year since. And this year, they did it on SurveyMonkey from March 26th through April 12th, which was right after we were all in lockdown for the COVID pandemic. So that was an interesting time, but 1,172 farmers from across the U.S. in each, every state participated, so they had a good response and probably maybe didn't have all, some of them a whole lot else to do, and they responded, but it, it's got some interesting facts in it. So, so what, why don't you share one of those with me? Is there anything that surprised you about this? <clears throat> well, it, it surprised me that so many people are turning to cover crops. You know, it started out kind of as an oddity thing. Some of the people scoffed at neighbors who were doing it. Others kind of took a wait and see approach. But now it seems like a lot of people are are really into cover crops and they're getting rewarded for their participation and putting in cover crops with things like reduced fertilizer costs. And some are experiencing lower costs for herbicides and increased yields. So those are all great advantages to planting cover crops. Is that what the survey showing? They're they're saying in the survey that they did see increased yields. That's interesting. Yes, they are saying that. They're saying that, it, and especially in weather extremes. So back to climate change, mm-hmm. um, the big big um, improvement for 
those who planted covered crops, for example, in 2012, which was a widespread drought year, was after soybeans, they had an increase in yield of 5% and corn yields increased 2% on those acres. So that's following a drought, which was pretty good. But that is also counterintuitive because some people believe that cover crops take up moisture that could be used by the crop. Exactly. And, and, and apparently that's not true. No. And there was even an increase of 5% in uh, soybean yields and 2% in corn yields last year in a wet year, which nobody saw that coming because most people thought that planting cover crops would delay the planting even further than it was delayed because of the wet conditions. And that wasn't the case. In fact, during last year, which was an extremely wet year, farmers um, planting crops into cover crops reported 71% better weed control and 68% reported better moisture control and moisture management, which is especially valuable during a wet spring. Well, that's interesting. And I think the other area when you talk about this, when you well, obviously they choke out the weeds. Mm -hmm. um, there just is no place for a weed to come up if it's if the ground is covered with oats or ryegrass or or whatever crop. Mm -hmm. Apparently, apparently radishes are popular. But right. but the other side of it is we're capturing the nitrogen we put down and we're keeping it where we put it, right? I mean, that's the other benefit of this. We're scavenging nitrogen so it doesn't leave the farm. Correct. And in that way, then we can improve maybe lower our fertilizer bill or at a minimum keep our drain tiles cleaner. Is that what they're, you're hearing too? Right. I And according to their statistical information, those who grow corn, soybeans, spring wheat, or cotton reported that they saved on production costs with fertilizers and herbicides. In soybeans, farmers said they saved 41% on herbicide costs and 41% on fertilizer costs. In corn, they saved 39% on herbicide costs and 49% on fertilizer costs. Hmm. So 49% on fertilizer costs in corn? That's significant. I mean, uh, in terms of corn, such a big user of nitrogen. Yeah. 49% saved on fertilizer costs. Yeah, that's huge. They're, I mean, not, that's, they're yeah. not saying how much they saved, but they saved. And you at could, the same time they were doing this, they were also reducing the costs of cover crop seed from when this survey started back in 2012. What do you mean reducing the cost of the, the seed? Well, the survey shows back in 2012 and 2013, people planting cover crops spent on average $25 per acre. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, most farmers reported paying less than $25 an acre. In fact, 16% said they paid $6 to $10 per acre for cover crop seed. 27% said they paid $11 to $15 per acre. Hmm. Well, I assume part of that is back in 2012, there weren't that many suppliers. Right. And there has been a growing number of suppliers of reliable cover crops. That's for sure. 
when you when you think about this, I mean, just from your background and the farmers you've talked to, one of the challenges is this is one more thing I got to do in the fall or sometime. Mm-hmm. There's an application cost, there's time, and then there's also that question, does it really pay for itself? It appears from the survey that there are enough benefits to counter, at least to do a break even on cover crops, if not an actual benefit, correct? Is that what you're saying? I think most of them are saying that they're getting a benefit. They're getting a yield boost. They're getting a reduction in costs. And mm. it's helping them do things like plant earlier. And, and those are things you can't quantify, but definitely helps with yeah. management. I mean, I think we're seeing more. We talk about cover crops. We at Farm Progress, many of our magazines have talked about this and for the last since 2012 and before have been writing about farming green or planting into cover crops and now we're getting into the fine-tuning management of cover crops timing of planting timing of termination and yet there are questions there too because more work is being done at major land-grant universities on those very issues it's just interesting to me like you say in 2012 or 2010 the neighbor planting cover crops is what is that weirdo doing now And today, when I'm in a neighborhood conversation in Iowa, my uh, hometown area, adopted hometown area in eastern Iowa, the conversation then becomes, so-and-so did this. It's not no no one's doing it, and not everyone is, but it's not no longer a weird thing. It's more a matter of what should you plant and how, not a matter of that you should plant cover okay. crops. And I think that's a change in attitude that... I'm not sure if you'd have told me a decade ago that would be true. I would have believed you. Well, a, a lot of them are doing it. Some tried it and they were skeptical. I think a lot of the early adapters were actually young farmers, 35 and under. I think they saw it as a benefit and they weren't afraid to try something new and they had success with it. So then the the neighbors tried it and pretty soon that caught on and i i've talked to a lot of cover crop enthusiasts and it's they tend to be on the younger side i would say 45 and younger and Hmm. they have a lot of enthusiasm for planting cover crops and the the two prime reasons they enjoy doing it of course are as you mentioned to improve soil structure or soil health but the second reason they do it is it's to improve weed management and it's working and they like it the area that i think will be interesting to see and as as mike and i talked earlier is just this concept of where will carbon credits come into this because if i can demonstrate so if i start today because there's a company that says we'll measure you from the day you sign up and if you make improvements we'll pay you for the improvements if I can measure that my soil organic matter went from X to Y, and I can justify that that change in soil organic matter is X amount of carbon captured and stored in that soil, with the carbon credit market starting to grow up, there could be, besides saving on fertilizer, besides saving on herbicide, there might be another check in the mail. Right. And it might be a real check. The other two are imputed checks. This Uh would be a real check in the mail, and I think I think that's exciting. I think farmers uh, that were skeptical are less skeptical and watching it closely because it's still more work. It really is. There's two more things you've got to do. you got to plant it in the fall and you have to figure out how you're terminating it in the spring. 
And, and it's uh, a beat the clock situation in absolutely. the states that you and I live in. I live in Wisconsin, you're in Minnesota. And really, realistically, for a lot of farmers, uh, of course, in Wisconsin, forages are big, so they plant this on wheat ground and um, on corn silage ground, which they're harvesting the corn silage right now. Yeah. A lot of them don't have time to, to get the soybeans off and the corn off and then turn around and get the, the cover crops in. Some manage to do it, but not a lot. Right, and and that's going to be a growing issue. And obviously, it'd be great to have something when silage comes off because you take off so much biomass with silage. A lot of dairy farmers have really turned to, turned on to planting cover crops. Not only can they improve their soil health and, as you said, Im improve what's left on the soil, many of them are planting rylage, for example, and then harvesting it next spring as a free feed for their heifers. So yeah, I think farmers do see the value and they're starting to make the investment in the equipment to get it done too. Well, thanks for this report on the survey. It's a, an annual survey. We'll probably check back with you in a year, Fran. All right. Probably, be, probably before then on something else, but on this in a year for sure. Okay. And uh, good to talk to you, Fran O'Leary with Wisconsin Agriculturist. Um, you have a great day and stay safe. You too, Willie. Thanks to Fran O'Leary for her report on cover crops and their benefits and to Mike Wilson for his work on a big, fat, hot topic, carbon. We appreciate their insights today. Around Farm Progress is our newest podcast looking at agriculture with the help of our national editorial team. But we have other podcasts you'll want to check out. The best way to find them is to visit farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. They're worth a listen. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress virtual experience. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.